Man, great to see all of you. Uh, really excited. We're going to be starting a new series that's going to go over the next five weeks called Ecclesia. Uh, and really, it's a series that's going to be uh, digging into what is the church. And we're going to consider what the church is through a series of metaphors that the scripture itself uses to define the church. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from each metaphor uh, that I believe uh, is really crucial in this tumultuous time of uncertainty, uh, a time where we're coming up on a year where life as we once knew it came to a, an abrupt close and we entered into a new time in which instead of life together, we were told that the best way to live is to live apart. And that's had incredible impacts on what it means to be the church. I mean, it really has had impacts on every arena of life. Uh, and we are reminded of the scripture's proclamation over humanity that it's not good that man be alone. Uh, and yet that's essentially what we've been forced into um, over this last year due to the pandemic. And I think that this has created for me um, a lot of questions around how do we gauge even the health of the church in this season. And, and I want to just say I do not have the answers uh, for how it is that we should be gathering or creating a meaningful church experience in this season. And this is why we need to function as a church and why we need to hear from you. Uh, those of you that are watching online, those of you that are here, and the present, we need one another in this time, and we have to figure out creatively how to be the church. Um, there are five metaphors that I'm going to focus in on, and I'll just kind of really quickly just state each one uh, so that you can kind of begin to be thinking about what this means in regards to your experience as a part of the church. The, the first metaphor that we're going to consider, which we'll consider in detail today, is the metaphor of the church as the body of Christ. Uh, when we think of the church as a body, that we are multiple members, but one body, uh, Jesus is the head, uh, where I, I immediately had this picture that the church is, is then a place of connectivity or unity as well as a place of contribution. Every part in the body plays a role in the health of that body, but that no member of the body is the head except for Jesus, which means Jesus is the controlling force in his own church. And his presence, but we have the mind of Christ. I think I've been thinking about Paul's phrasing, but we have the mind of Christ. That is true as the body and him as the head. So it's a place of connection and a place of contribution that Jesus wants to utilize you to be a part of his body, to be a healthy, contributing member of his body. The church as a bride is another metaphor that is used. And to be a bride is to really speak of the covenant of marriage and to be Speaking of the covenant of marriage, I, there are two words that immediately come to mind for me when I think of, of that covenant, and that is love and devotion. That through sickness and health, I am yours, you are mine, 
I sacrificially lay down my life for you. I am devoted to you. And I believe that the church is to be a place that is marked by a, a, a resolute covenantal devotion to Jesus and his mission. And it is manifested uh, in our love for him, his love for us, and our love for others. The third metaphor that is often used to describe the church is that of a family. Uh, We're called the household of God, children of God. But the idea of the church as a family speaks to something that actually we can, many of us can talk of in detail right now because COVID has forced us into uh, small family units, you know. I, one benefit of COVID is I have had the most focused time with my wife, Darcy, my son, Henry, and my daughter, Hattie, that I've probably ever had. I mean, it's, you know, we, we live life together in more, more close quarters. And it's revealed a lot about the, the power of family, um, that when one person in a family hurts, everybody hurts because there's no escaping one another. Uh, when, when we're healthy, everyone experiences the health. Uh, and there's a, there's a power of that. But what family, I think, speaks to uh, is that it's a place, the church then is a place of relationship as well as responsibility. Because a healthy family, everyone contributes to the, to the health of the family as children go into maturity to help them prepare for their own family. You have to begin to give them responsibility uh, in order for them to prepare, be prepared for adulthood. And so the church as a family is a place of relationship. It's a place of responsibility. The next metaphor is a unique one and maybe the one that's the most paradoxical and that is the church as a flock. When we think of a flock, we immediately are reminded of those stories, those parables that Jesus himself used. The I am statements, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, they know me, they follow me. Parable of the lost sheep, I will leave the 99 to go find the one. And all of those passages kind of speak of like Jesus as this protective shepherd and that he would lay down his life for his sheep. And, you know, I've heard, I don't actually know if it's true because I've not been a shepherd nor have I ever owned sheep, but I heard that sheep are dumb. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But even that's kind of helpful for understanding myself as a member of the flock of God uh, and how desperately I need Jesus to protect me because I am the sheep that will go get lost and find myself on a precipice. But here's the thing. When we think of the metaphor of the church as a flock, we think of it as a place of protection. Is the church a place where you find safety? But there is only one reason that shepherds keep sheep safe. And there's, this is the paradox. For what are sheep used for? It's wool, if you're really friendly, but most of the time is for food or in the time of Jesus for sacrifice. So you have this picture of the sheep as, as something that is protected by the shepherd for the purpose of being sacrificed. And I think that the church is a place where we are protected. We, we have protection, but we are protected so that we can be laid down 
for the good of others, that we can be sacrificed. Present yourself, brothers and sisters, as living what? Sacrifices. Uh, and so I think that this is a, this, that one's going to be a unique one because I don't think many people want to think about the church as a place where I, am, uh, where I am protected and grown so that I can be killed. And in the name of Jesus, that is exactly what we're trying to do with all of you. Um, the final metaphor that we'll consider is the church as a building. And there's, there's two kind of pictures when it speaks of the church as a building, and that is one of, as of, a, of a home, a house itself, a dwelling place. Uh, and when we think of a home, we think of a place of belonging. Uh, but the other building reference that is given to the church is a, a, that of a temple. And when I think of a temple, I think of a place of worship. And church should both be that combination, that strange like sacred romance of something that's familiar like home and something that is awe-inspiring, filled with worship, that's, that has that, the mystery uh, and the, that untouchable reality to it. And the church should be a place where we belong, but it is a place where we are to come into contact uh, when the community of believers, when two or more gather in my name, I am there in the midst of them, that there is a mystical union with Christ that should provoke worship. And so these are the, the metaphors that we're going to consider uh, over the next five weeks. But today we're going to consider the church as a body. And I want to just begin with this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite books, a book that I've read many times uh, called The Cost of Discipleship. If you've never read it, you should read it. Um, it's extremely challenging. It's where the, the, the term that was coined by Dietrich Bonhoeffer of cheap grace uh, was, was utilized and became popularized. Uh, it's an amazing exploration of the Sermon on the Mount and its implications uh, for us as followers of Jesus and what does it mean to be a disciple. But Bonhoeffer had an extremely high view of church and its importance. And he said this, since the ascension, Christ's place on earth has been taken by his body, the church. The church is the real presence of Christ. Notice he doesn't say the believer is the real presence of Christ. No, the church is the real presence of Christ. Once we have realized this truth, we are well on the way to recovering an aspect of the church's being which has been sadly neglected in the past. We should think of the church not as an institution, but as a person, though of course a person in a unique sense. In other words, it is in the church that we come to know Christ, and it is through the church that we are united to Christ in faith. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, to be in Christ means to be in the church, but if we are in the church, we are verily and bodily in Christ. Now, this is incredibly important for us to understand from, from the beginning of this series that the church is at its core a community of men and women, boys and girls who have been redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ whose lives now are built around him, who, he, who we see at the center of what we do and who he sees around himself. And this is why the church is not a place where we're constantly looking for new information, secret knowledge. 
It's not a place that should be driven by fads or cultural whatever is popular uh, in, in the culture at any given moment. The church is continually a place that gathers around the person of Jesus in accordance with the gospel under the authority of the scripture, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are not a people who create a new message. We continue to give the same message and that same message brings newness of life every time it is spoken amongst God's people. The church is a place where every person holds a vital and significant role in the continued mission of Jesus, the mission that Jesus had upon this earth 2,000 years ago when he walked amongst us is the same mission that he is continuing today by the power of the Holy Spirit through his church, through his body. And so it is, we need to understand that we live in a culture in which that traditional vision of what it means to be spiritual people is being redefined by the secular age in which we live. I'm reading right now a fascinating book, really, really insightful into the spiritual and religious landscape of, of America, and it's called Strange Rights by Tara Isabella Burton. Uh, and in it, what she argues is that as a secular age in a post-Christian, increasingly post-Christian society, uh, that, that people are not becoming less religious or less spiritual, but that they are becoming more bent on defining their belief system based upon their individual preferences. She says this, she says, it's the story of how more and more Americans and particularly how more and more millennials envision themselves as creators of their own, this word is uh, Evan Way's least favorite word, bespoke religions, which just means you're your own creator. It's like, it's like DIY religion. Uh, bespoke religions mixing and matching spiritual and aesthetic and experiential and philosophical traditions. She goes on to say today's remixed, she calls it the remixed generation, remixed reject authority, institution, creed, and moral universalism. They value intuition, personal feeling, and experiences. They demand to rewrite their own scripts about how the universe and human beings operate, shaped by the twin forces of a creative, communicative internet and consumer capitalism. Today's remix don't want to receive doctrine to assent automatically to a creed. They want to choose, and more often than not, to purchase the spiritual path that feels the most authentic and more meaningful to them. I find that really interesting that the new remix generation actually wants to be able to purchase their religious experience. Does that not fly in the face of the gospel that comes to us in the form, like I don't want your free gift. We all know that free is, means garbage. Uh, I'm like, she obviously doesn't live in Portland because we love free. Uh, when I lived in Clinton, I could put anything anything on the sidewalk. 
I could forget something on the sidewalk for five minutes. Someone tried to take my guitar once when I was unloading my guitar, my car. They're like, it was sitting here. I'm like, I'm just unloading my car. They're like, sorry, thought it was a free pile. It's a guitar. It's not a free pile. <laughs> but I do think it's an interesting observation is that, that the ability to buy something speaks of I have more ownership of it. It, it, it speaks to that, that, that unhealthy belief that I am the one who needs to be in control of every detail of my existence. I need to be able to define for myself what I believe, what I own, who I spend time with, how I spend my, what I spend my time watching or reading. Nobody can tell me what to do. And let me just tell you, I've been pastoring this church long enough to have had enough conversations with people who have walked away from the church for that very reason. They do not want to be a part of a community that lives under any kind of authority that sits outside of their own personal sense of authority. And that's deeply problematic because we have proven that we're not very good masters in our rejection of institution and creed, our rejection of, of morality, our obsession with what feels good in the moment has led us into an incredibly dark place in human history. That's why Jacques Ellul so brilliantly said that being a Christian today in the technological age is actually much harder than it was even in a time when the church was deeply persecuted. And he argues the reason it's harder isn't because we're dealing with new internal struggles. The internal struggles are the same. We're sinful people with sinful natures and we are bent on doing the things we ought not to do. But we live in a technological age in which we are all deeply connected by a multitude of voices that come to us through technology and, and COVID has been a place where most people's existence now is in the realm of social media um, and the various communities. And in case you're wondering, oh, well, I'm not impacted by this new remixed religion. I guarantee it is intersected with your life more than you think. Because she goes on, she goes, in case you're wondering if you've been touched by this, she's like, if you ever bought a product from Gwyneth Paltrow's goo or goop, What's it called? It might as well be goo. Uh, it, you, you know, if you, are, you follow uh, Instagram accounts that are driven by particular health crazes, whatever, you know, veganism or raw food diets, like all of these things kind of speak to that bespoke religion. It's where people are looking for four elements that she argues makes the new religious experience. And what's interesting is God is not one of the four elements. It's meaning, it's purpose, it's community, it's ritual. CrossFit is a religion. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, we, we connect ourselves to whole varieties of subgenres and groups and, and you can find a group for anything on social media and Facebook and Instagram and, and you know, Twitter and what's the dancing one? I always forget. TikTok. I know it's not just dancing, but it should be. I would actually be an 
avid member if it was just dancing, but it's not. And then when I watch it, it's not even good dancing most of the time. I used to love to dance. TikTok would have been a big deal for me at 18 if it had existed. I probably wouldn't be a Christian. I'd just be a famous dancing TikToker. <laughs> I could Vogue really good. I won my sixth grade talent show breakdancing. I, I know. See, I would have found my own remixed religion. We've all been touched by it. And this is why it is so important for us as the church to figure out how to be the church in the midst of this kind of culture. What we need to understand is that the church fundamentally is a community of charismas, if I could put it that way. That we are a people that have been empowered by the Holy Spirit who gifts each member as he sovereignly sees fit to contribute to the body of Christ. To, this is not to deny that the church needs form or structure as well, but the church is essentially a fellowship more than it is an institution. Truth is imparted not from the top down nor from the bottom up, but from the risen Christ in whom we live and move and have our being. So what does it mean then to be the body of Christ? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin by looking at verses 12 through 14 and verse 27, because this is the great proclamation that we are the body of Christ. And that has with it many implications. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Again in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I think it's important for us to state here at the beginning that the church is not referred to as a mass. That honestly, a mass is really the ideology uh, that kind of flows out of why Marxism and communism was failed. It was the, the idea of the brotherhood of man was it was kind of, it was treated humanity like a mass. Everyone is contributing to a common good, but the loss of self was, was kind of crucial to the effectiveness of communist ideology. So you weren't allowed to be unique. There was no individually members of one another. You were a mass. You were just absorbed into the Borg, if you will. That is not what the church is to be. We're not, we're not placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit and we become a bunch of Stepford wives. That's, that's not the goal. We are a body which means that each member is unique and plays a crucial role to the health of the whole body. And what that says right out of the gate is that you may think that your presence in Door of Hope has little to no impact on the church as a whole. And I would argue that it may feel that way from your perspective but from a biblical understanding 
and the mystical reality of the living Christ being amongst his people and the fact that scripture declares that every member of the body plays into the health of the body speaks to the fact that you do not live in isolation. That's why the early church fathers did not say one God, three individuals. They said one God, three persons. Because an individual is someone who is defined apart from others, while a person is defined in, their, in accordance to their relationship with others. And so it is that as a part of the body, whether you feel like you contribute anything or not, your very presence here contributes on a spiritual, supernatural level. And when one member is unhealthy, it brings unhealth to the whole body. When one member is healthy, it brings health to the whole body. We feel, whether we can pinpoint it or not, the health or unhealth of a church and it is totally dependent upon the health of its members. And we know that is true with the physical body, is it not? I, I remember in 2014, at the end of the Northeast remodel, I did not have good boundaries in regards to keeping myself healthy. And I didn't know that sleep is necessary for existence. And I thought I could just go months on end with three hours of sleep and go like a madman thinking I was the Energizer Bunny, not realizing that even the Energizer Bunny batteries eventually die. Uh, and once that battery was dead, it did not recover. With, no matter how much slept, sleep I got, I couldn't recover. And I just, I felt like I had mono for months. And I remember going to all these doctors and finally I ended up an endocrinologist and they did these bunch of tests. And I discovered that I had this one issue is that during that time of high stress and continual just movement and no rest, I blew out my uh, pituitary gland, specifically my body stopped producing luteinizing hormone. I even never heard of that. I didn't even know where the pituitary gland was. I thought it was like in my thigh. And it's like, I, it's like a little gland in your head that actually controls your entire hormone system. And it's like that little gland impacted everything about how I felt. I felt miserable. I, 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 my metabolism slowed down. I was tired all the time. And it required so much correction. It's just amazing how one thing in the body can put everything awry. I just, when I was doing the house build, I just, for a week, I was so miserable because I smashed my pointer finger with a 12 pound sledgehammer I hit it so hard. I just want to share this with you because I really love gross hot stories. I hit it so hard, it exploded the tip of my finger onto the wall, uh, which actually saved me from a really nasty blood blister, but it was brutal. And, it, and I screamed. I mean, I, I let out a scream that I didn't even know I was capable of. It was amazing. Uh, it was kind of out of body. Uh, at first, I was just like, oh, that didn't seem good. And then I ran cold water on it, and that's when the the vocal component, the, the, the delayed reaction <laughs> happened. But just that little injury, it was like all week, all I could think about was just the tip of my finger. 
So it's amazing, this metaphor is a very powerful one because it speaks to the fact that every person in the body of Christ has a crucial role in the health of the whole body. And I think that this is why it says in Galatians chapter three, verses 27 through 28, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What this tells us about the church as the body of Christ is that the existence of the church involves a repetition of incarnation. If you want to know what it means to be the body of Christ, we just have to look at the life of Jesus when he walked on this earth. And what was Jesus? If we were to say Jesus defined incarnational living by two things, really. Complete identification with the Father and complete identification with humanity. For us then, that means complete and total identification with Jesus for the service and complete and total identification with a broken and lost humanity. We are bringing Jesus to a lost world. The ministry of Jesus through his physical body on earth is continued in the ministry of his body, the church. It is the same ministry. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We are the body of Christ and individually members of it, which tells us that we need one another. Look what it says in verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Again, in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Notice there are two attitudes that hurt the community here. One is that of insecurity. The belief that I'm not gifted. I don't have anything to offer the church. It's the comparing yourself to others. It's desiring to be someone else in the community, wishing you could be the one that's singing, wishing you could be the one that's preaching. It's, the, it's that, that fundamental belief that God somehow made a mistake when he made you. I sometimes think that about myself. I'm like, like, I'm sorry, Lord, am I a bad joke? Uh, like, when it comes to my effectiveness or, like, because we all, you're like, well, you're the guy that preaches. Yeah, but you don't live in my head. And I know what it's like to wake up every day and go, I, I just, last week, a pastor called me out along with two other pastors uh, in the city and said that we were, we were somehow responsible for what happened at the Capitol building and you know why? Because we hold to historic orthodoxy. But I found someone's like, are you hurt by this? And I'm like, no. Like, I'm kind of, kind of proud. Like, he, he doesn't like me because I believe the Bible. I'm like, I can think of so many reasons not to like me. And, and, uh, and he didn't hit any of them. He, he like, he actually like, attack the one thing I'm kind of proud of, that I maintain orthodoxy. So I'm like, it just is amazing to me how quickly we can become insecure around our usefulness to the kingdom of God. But here's the thing, 
every person in the body of Christ has something to contribute to the body of Christ. Jesus knew what he was doing when he chose you. And he chose you. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He, you didn't end up here of your own accord. You came here because the Spirit drew you. And you're a part of this body because God wants to utilize you in this body. And every member of the body plays a significant role. In all honesty, my heart was heavy for that community that believes that the best way to bring Jesus to the world is by stripping him of his kingdom and his ethics and stripping him of his concern for the very things that keep us from him. And in that regard, insecurity would not be the thing that drives me as a member of the body of Christ, but a strong belief that when we stand in the gap for the gospel of Jesus, no matter how unpopular it is in this particular cultural moment, because Jesus is not interested in your politics and he's not interested in your pop music taste. He is interested in the seeking and saving that which is lost, which is humanity. And he's not about dividing lines of nationalism or, or socialism. He's not, he's not interested in any of that. He's not interested in keeping America on the top of the kingdom throne, okay? Kingdoms come and go. He's interested in bringing his kingdom to earth. And when we stand in the gap for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the entire universe at our back saying yes and amen. And he will take the most unlikely, the most weakest vessel. In fact, the weaker you are, the better off you are because it is in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. So an attitude that hurts the community is the belief that God can't use you. Another attitude that can really hurt the church is the opposite. That I can't say to the hand, I have no need for you. If insecurity is one side of it, the other side is independence. The belief that I don't need the community. I actually know I'm gifted and the community is just lucky to have me. It's amazing that in many congregations, people get the idea that they don't need the rest of the body, that they can function on their own, that they have their own abilities, their own ministry, they can do things apart from others. This always creates a sense of competitiveness and rivalry and independence from the body is one of the most, is, is the quickest path to heresy. Because the multitude of voices that are constantly finding their way into our heads in the ways that we interpret things. We need one another to be reminded of the truth of the gospel. We need to be consistently brought back into the narrative of who Jesus is and his community. We need to consistently put ourselves under the authority of God's word, under the authority of Jesus and his spirit, and even submit ourselves to one another, trusting that it is the body working out its salvation together in fear and trembling by which we are able to actually engage a world as dark as the one in which we live right now. If you're living the Christian life independently from others, you are reducing your own effectiveness and that of the body as a whole. 
I, it's one of the reasons that I got off the road when I was touring full-time doing music uh, when I first became a believer and entered into the Christian music industry. Uh, I toured for a whole year where I had no church home. And, and I was doing ministry, but there was an increasingly unsettled feeling where all I was doing was aping the ways of the world and fighting against God's given method for expanding his kingdom, which is continued to be and will always be until his return through the church. And therefore, I quit the band at the peak of our success to go to work at a church because I felt like even as a songwriter, as a worship writer, I want that to flow out of my connection to a local community. It's not my natural inclination. I am so naturally comfortable just not being connected to anything. I, I am by nature a total nomad. Darcy and I have moved since we started Door of Hope because I'm, because I'm not, I almost said stuck here. I didn't mean it that way. But, you know, Jesus has not set us free. And this is where I find my freedom. Uh, but he does let me move around the city. We've moved eight times since the church started. I think Darcy and I counted up the other day. We've moved 26 times since we've been married. Um, and I love it. I just finished my house and I'm already like, we should sell this and get another one. Like, I don't know what other, but like we've almost lived in every neighborhood now. So where do we go from here? I don't know. Um, but I, I think that this is that, that I purposefully tethered myself to the local church to fight against the natural inclination of being independent. This is why we have to understand that the work of the church is to, as a community, bring healing to the brokenhearted, to give deliverance to the captives, to open the eyes of the blind, to preach the good news to the poor and the despairing of the heart. This is what Jesus did and this is what Jesus continues to do through his community. It's what the work of the church is and why we need one another. We also need to understand that we are different from one another. But our uniqueness is discovered in context to relationship. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 17, uh, 17 through 20, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This is such a beautiful piece of scripture because it reminds us that our uniqueness actually comes through unity. Each member is unique, distinctive, irreplaceable, irrepeatable, but our uniqueness is discovered in our relationship with others. Now here's the thing that I think is important around this, this piece of information, is that often people come to the church and they're really passionate about something. Some aspect of how the gospel impacts or intersects with their world. A great example of that is, uh, is there have been people that have come to church who are extremely passionate about justice. And they become frustrated that I'm not as passionate. It's not that I'm not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a citizen in the city. I care about, about justice. We all should care about it. But there are people like that's what makes them tick. Or people that care, they love prayer. They think that is the most important thing in the church. Justice is the most important thing in church. There are people that are like, no, 
the reading of the Bible, the study of scripture, that is the most important thing in the church. No, discipleship, that's the most important thing in the church. Jesus is the most important thing in the church and Jesus has uniquely gifted each of you to care about different aspects or different facets of the gospel. And so if you come and you're like, hey, Josh doesn't talk about the thing that I'm the most passionate about. It's because I am one member of a whole body and God brought you here so that you could be passionate about that thing in the context of the community. And we want to create space for those realities. And so I, I met with a group of people that were really passionate when, when everything went down with, uh, with the, the, the protests in the summer. There are people in the church that are just deeply passionate about conversations around racial reconciliation and, and wanted to know that that is something that is going to be a priority for us as a church. And I'm like, for, for my responsibility as lead pastor is to, is to continually keep the priority around the gospel. But the gospel, in order for it to be effective, has to actually speak to all of these things. But that actually requires every person in the body to contribute to the proclamation of the gospel through these various ways in which it impacts and infiltrates every arena of the church. And, and, and so I just want to say, because my natural bent is evangelism, don't hold it against me if I don't have the exact same passion as you, because that's the reason you're here because I need you to remind me of why those things are important that you care about so that I can also remind you of the things that, I'm, that I find important and together as a community, what we find ourselves then is actually well-rounded. We don't want a homogenous church. I don't want everyone at Door of Hope to be an evangelist, but everyone should do the work of evangelism. Everyone should share the gospel. I don't want Door of Hope to be only about social justice, but we should care about justice in the city. It needs to be part, and there are gonna be some of you that that's a deep driving force for your life. I don't think everyone should be only about prayer, but some of you, prayer is like, that is the lifeline for you. And I, I think this is one of the things unique, even in giftings, one of the things that's been really kind of revolutionary for me is, is conversations around discipleship in the church and the questions around do I care about people being discipled and it was it was one of those things where it's like all of a sudden like kind of in a conversation I think it was Tim that said Josh this isn't a bad thing but you care way more about who's not at door of hope than who's at door of hope and I was like you're right, I don't think I care about any of these people. No, I didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> I do care, but I am thinking more forward. I'm thinking more about who's not here. And that's because that's how the Lord wired me, which means that that's going to leave a major hole if we don't have pastors who care deeply about who's here right now. And how are those people going to be growing? And this is why we need the body. All of us are wired differently, and God wants to utilize each of you as he created you, empowered by the Spirit, to fulfill your God-given role in the health of this body, but it's going to be discovered in the context of community. Finally, we're to care for one another. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable and bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. I like that. It's such a kind of a sketchy little passage he just wrote there. Uh, like what, what parts is he talking about? Uh, I'm going to say teeth. Um, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there are may be no division in the body, but that the members may have some care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. How do we care for one another? I think it's important that he, he, there's particular attention to the less presentable parts of the physical bodies. And I, I actually do think of really basic things like we care for our stomach controls a lot of what we do. Isn't it true? Nobody can see that part of your body, but you don't like to skip meals. If you're like my family, hangry is a very real word. Uh, you know, we, we, you wear a mask all day. You've probably become more aware of the importance of dental hygiene than ever before in your life over the last year. We, if you've had a root canal, you know you don't want another one. We care for those, we care for our bodies because it's important. But I love the, the metaphor here is that Paul says those parts of the body that aren't as seen, he argues that the, the parts of the body that are actually doing the greatest impact for the kingdom are often the people that you're not, you've never heard of. That the names of, that are known in heaven but maybe not known on earth and it is our responsibility to make sure those people are honored and cared for. But then he goes on to say that it's also important for us to, to care for those in the body that are hurting, that those that are weeping, we weep with them and those that are rejoicing, we rejoice with them. Notice it's not about they're getting more attention than me but it's all about us giving the others in our circle attention, which means everyone then is cared for. It's when we have an other-oriented mindset is when the church actually begins to look like the supernatural community that it's called to be because the only tangible evidence that you and I even have been born again is not based upon how, what an astute Bible student you are or how often you pray or how rich your theology is or what your intellect is, it's how well you love. And this is why it says we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What the world is looking for in the church right now more than ever is to know that there actually is a God that cares. And we have the ability to show God's gracious love toward us by the way that we love others. What do you spend your day doing? Each day, how much do you do? What, what do you post on Instagram or Facebook? Do the things that you post, do the things that you say, do the things that you do reveal a God who loves all people with an everlasting love? Or have you fallen into the trappings like so many have in this time of where we're in the safety of our homes and we can espouse and spew as much vitriol as we want because nobody's there to push back on us. I've been heartbroken to see how vitriolic the church is capable of being. 
Listen, nobody's interested in your political views, but everybody, whether they know it or not, is interested in knowing that on their worst day they're loved. That is the message of the church. And if you're not playing into that message, you are not functioning like a healthy member of the body. God is in the business of redeeming lost humanity. And no one is beyond redeeming. And we are to reflect that in how we live together and how we live apart. And it begins right here. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Let us begin to discover our unique gifts in the context of community. Let us creatively come up with ways to be the church in a time where it's hard to be the church because the church is still in existence. It's not going anywhere. (laughs) Jesus is still saving people. He's not on pause until there's a cure for COVID. This isn't taken in by surprise. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And may those things be manifested in this community. May we love people well because we are loved so well by our King who is the head and we are his body. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the power of the gospel and its ability to bring transformation to our lives. Jesus, thank you that you are so good to us. Good to us even when we are not good to one another. Lord, thank you that you love us even when we're wayward. Thank you that you care for us even when we forget you're there. Thank you that our salvation is not based upon what we have done, but what you have done and are continuing to do for us, in us, and through us. And we pray, Lord, as we submit ourselves to you and to one another, that we would rediscover the power of what it means to be the church. Lord, in a time where people are walking away from you, in a time when the love of many is growing cold. I pray that your love would burn fiercely a door of hope. Through all those that proclaim you as their king, may they know the power of your gospel in these dark days. May you creatively work in and through us. Lord, show us how to be the church in this time. Lord, we need your direction. Give us insight. I pray that you would raise up the members of this body. Lord, provoke in people to contribute in ways they've not before. For we are connected to one another because we're connected to you. Lord, we love you. Bring health to this community. We pray in your name. Amen.